Welcome back to Riding the Big Wheel. I am Michelle Seeger, and today with us is Anita Nielsen. She is president and founder of LDK Advisory Services and author of Beat the Bots. Anita has become a fast friend and colleague of mine since we were on a panel together, and we were talking about sales and selling in a virtual world. And today, that is what we are going to talk about. So let's get started. She's leading with passion, bringing life to vision, sharing a story. So now let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about opportunities. Um, you and I have had discussions about this before, and I think there's a couple areas we, we can talk about. So I would love for you to share with our listeners your perspective on how this is our time, and then we can kind of have fun and talk to women about some development areas and things that they might yeah. be able to, to look at themselves. Yeah, I love it. This is one of the things, of course, I'm really passionate about. I think because humanity is something that's so important to me and the things that go with it, like the empathy, the compassion, the kindness, the sincerity, all those types of things. I believe that, um, you know, women in general, I think we're socialized to have those things. And, you know, maybe it's innate. I don't even try to get into that whole argument, but we, for whatever reason, we have those capacities, right? So we're able to use those things. And now's our time to shine. The world is starving for compassion. People are dying to have people that are empathetic, truly, genuinely empathetic with them. People want people that can be the um, nurturers, the guides. I'll tell you what, what, some of my customers now, and I love all my customers, I won't pick them if they're not, but they're just, they just want to call and they want to talk about, well, what, what do you think I should do? Now, granted, I'm a coach, but people that aren't even coaching clients, they're just separate clients, they'll call and say, I don't know what to do because we're craving human connection. They're craving, they've got, people have big decisions to make, like you just said, in your business, in your life, everything, and everyone's adapting on a daily basis. Being able to use empathy skills like we have as women, being able to use compassionate, being compassionate like we women typically are, that is so valuable. One of the things that I've struggled with over years is there's, there's some women that go into the workforce and they believe that because in order to succeed in a you know sometimes traditionally male dominated field, you have to adopt more masculine type behaviors and you know thought process and all these things. And I mean to me that's just tragic because I know that a lot of the things that we do as women are super powerful. And I think even people that used to think like that are starting to see that that nurturing right now. Now it's not a time for the hard sell. It's not a time to be aggressive. It's the time to nurture, care, support guide, all those things, which we just were predisposed to doing. And um, this, I always joke about the mother ha motherhoods, my MBA, um, and it was more valuable <laughs> than the MBA I actually got, but it's right now it is. I mean, people need people that they can have as a safety net. And I, I think I'm blessed because my customers have come to know me um, in that way. And it's just I get to reinforce this idea over and over again, but it's our time to shine. I mean, women listening out there, be who you are and realize you'll know very quickly how valuable the things that you do as a woman are to the work world. I think that's just such great advice. You know, when I was doing some research for my book, um, one of the things that we found out is that um, it was on inside sales, on inside sales, that women actually outperform men yes. um, as far as reaching their quotas and their objectives. Right. 
And it's really because they really listen and they get down to the bottom of, of what the problem really is. They're empathetic. Uh, and, you know, I talk to a lot of sales leaders and a lot of them men, right? Male and female. And they were able to substantiate through data. Yeah, I never thought about it, but you're right. My high performers, they're female. That's you know, it's really an interesting perspective. And these are women that are just doing that, which is more natural to them. Which is who they are. And, and that's so they are. My, big, my big soapbox is the only place you can differentiate anymore right now is who you are and what you stand for. And how you take that, mix it up, and make it really matter for your customer. And so as, as women, you know, we, we already are so many things that people need in their lives. And sometimes it's not easy to ask for. And I think, um, and I wish I could kick myself for not doing some scientific data on this. But over the years, I've, I've had to do a lot of um, you know, coaching of different people, high performers, uh, mid performers. And I will tell you, the majority of high performers, when I get my little list, there may be a sales organization that only has two women in it. They're always on the high performers. And like I said, I could kick mm. myself for not having the data. It would be darn valuable. But, and when you talk to them, it's the stories about how they were a human and how they were empathetic and did something that mattered to that customer as an individual, not just as a buyer. Welcome back to The Big Wheel. And today with us is Jana Schmidt, President and CEO of Harland Clark. Welcome, Jana. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thanks a lot. Um, I was excited to talk to you as well. And one of the first things I was thinking about as I was preparing for meeting with you today was uh, my own experience with checks as a, as a kid, as a little kid. And it was so exciting for us. You know, my, my mom has three girls and she would come home with her checks. And I'll never forget the first time that she came home with these colored checks and they were four colors. It was the first time I believe they did four colors and they were pink, pale yellow, light blue and light green. And there were different flowers on each one of them. And we would be so excited. And I would actually look at my mom and say, which check are you going to write today? You know, um, but it was just kind of interesting because the family really got into that. And um, now I, I fast forward to today and I still write checks, but not as frequently. And I don't really carry them in my, my purse anymore. And I thought about how the business has had to be reimagined, and I suspect that you are reimagining that that uh, business. And would you like to share with us a little bit about what that looks like and the vision you have for Harlan Clark? Yes, I love your story because it plays right into our future. If you can imagine that, I was probably here when we rolled out some of those checks. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been with the company for a really long time. I took about a seven-year break. And I was a CEO of a company that was in energy and sustainability, but um, that love of that experience that was more common in the 70s and 80s and 90s for sure, where you would go to your bank and in your checking account, you would get checks. Think about yeah. the word checking account originated with that. Uh, but what you remember is your experience. And what I think about today that makes Crown Park special is not a product. It is not a check order or a direct marketing piece or uh, any one thing we do, it's the experience we create for consumers and businesses on behalf of our clients. So we serve the financial industry, of course. We also have amazing retail clients like Costco and Walmart and software companies like Intuit and Sage. And 
for all of that, what I think that they would say is the reason that they choose us is not a product, it's the way that we care for their consumers and their businesses, their customers, that we take care of them as well, if not better than they can themselves. And so as I became a CEO and I was looking for what will be the next stage of our company, I'm building on a legacy where your sisters and you felt a, um, an emotional tie to the experience you had. Um, that experience is much rarer today. Um, people still write checks like you said, but it is, and I don't even, I'm not hoping for people to write more checks. I just think when you want a check, I want it to be, I want the experience to be good and that, and that it matters. Um, what I've seen is that good leaders communicate well and they do reveal the information that they can. And uh, the ones that really don't are those that tend to, oh gosh, you've heard of the term the ivory tower, mm. right? We see that, you know, every day we're consulting with companies and we do see that there's a, a divide between the people that are doing the work and leadership teams. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Yes. You've yeah. got to know why you're doing it. Right. And, you know, uh, for women as leaders, because I know that this is about female leadership, um, there's this concept called the glass cliff. Mm -hmm. And that concept, which I know you know, is that during stable times, men are more often selected to lead an organization, but it's during times of change or when an organization really needs to shift that women are more often given the chance. And this is exciting because we're given a chance. It's also daunting because the risk is high, the path isn't clear, it requires us to work so hard to, to move a company forward, um, which is why I think as a female leader, you know, I was, I was given this chance. It, yeah. Company needed to change. And I think I'm fully qualified for it. And I think I'm proud to be here, but I don't doubt that there was an element of, hey, it's gotta change, so why not give her a chance, right? Um, but the work is high and the work is hard and the need for everybody being aligned is, is just essential. So we're, we're making that transition, but a lot of women out there, you know, the chance we're given, the, the work is really hard and the reward is high too. Yeah, so why do you think that that is? Why do you think that when a company is in the midst of a big change, that it may open the door more for a female leader for those opportunities? I, I really think the mentality is we have to make a change anyway. Mm -hmm. Why not give? Um, Jana give them a, a try, give them a chance. And so while on the one hand, I want to be like irritated by that. On the other, on the other hand, it's, it's, Hey, we're doing it. I mean, I just read an article in Forbes a couple of months ago that said CFO with female CFOs who've been in positions only in the last few years have driven like $1.8 trillion in economic value beyond what was done prior. Oh, wow. Huge. That's great. Huge accomplishment. So for whatever reason we're given the chance, I think we're making the most of it. And that's all I care about is, hey, we're at the table where we're, we are qualified because we don't try for things yeah. that we're not really qualified <laughs> for. Uh, maybe we're overqualified, but uh, the economic value that's being created by women in these new roles um, that maybe came because of the glass clip, we're, we're making the most of it. We're delivering real, real economic results. All right. I want to shift gears and talk about sales for a moment. All of the time that you have spent in a sales organization, I would be remiss not to discuss that. So we've seen a big shift, right? Everything from technology to how customers want to engage and buy. Uh, as you think about the biggest challenges for sales organizations today, just think about maybe one or two that might be on the top of your mind 
and how companies can deal with them or how you may have dealt with some challenges yourself. For sales organizations today, to me, one of the, the toughest things we are encountering is how do you, how do you teach people about and this industry, this, 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 the economic drivers that include technology, they include services, they include products, and they include an ecosystem of partners, of frenemies, competitors. Mm -hmm. It is a really complicated thing. You know, when I sold checks in the early 90s, it was sort of checks. Now it is, um, who are all the partners that make it work? Um, in some parts of the sale, it could be a little bit more tangible, product-oriented. Some of it is you're selling people, consulting services. There's probably a technology enablement piece. So you really have to have, number one, you got to hire avid learners. And that's been difficult because some people are so successful selling what we did in the past. They are, in some cases, they don't have that, that quest for learning that is required. And it's difficult to teach people how to be a part of the new economy when they, they're not staying abreast of these things and able to talk the language of, you know, Salesforce Marketing Cloud and what's Oracle doing and, and all these companies that are part of everyone's ecosystem. They are moving into, I don't care what industry you're in, Salesforce is in it. Wow. And what are you doing about it? And they could be helping you, they could be hurting you, but there you have to have an opinion on it. And if people don't even understand it, it's very difficult. So you have to have avid learners in terms of your sales team. And then you have to have a way to teach and train that people can become productive very fast. And that's really an art um, because you, you've got to talk about so many things that have to be reinforced by your own self learning. So I, I probably spend two hours a day reading stuff and it'll be reading you know, things like The Economist and, you know, highbrow things all the way down to people in USA Today because it all comes together and, and, you, and Sports Illustrated and, and, and ESPN, we're all, all of it is, is coming together in such a way that we have to be knowledgeable about everything. And if you're not an avid learner in the organization, that's tough, but if you are an avid learner and the organization can teach you, they can, they can put the training manuals and the playbooks in place and they can roll play you through it. You have to constantly augment that with things on your own. Yeah. So today I'm here with Gail Stout Perry, partner of the first female partner, I should say, of Credera Consulting Firm. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, Gail. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I wanted to launch right into it and talk about your, um, your transition into becoming from where you were into becoming the first female partner at Credera. I know you had a really interesting career journey, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about that with your peers. Okay, great, thank you. Um, yes, so the journey is um, typically me being one of very few women or no women. <laughs> um, yeah, so I uh, have an engineering degree, but that was 30 years ago, so there were three wow. women in my class. Came out and went to Accenture, um, what's now Accenture, and of course there were more women there. That yeah. was great. Um, but my, when my daughter was born, um, I stepped out mm -hmm. um, and I took a, a hiatus for a, about three or four years, and then I started my own company to try to control my life, but to regain this career I loved called consulting. Ah, mm -hmm. um, and then eventually joined up with uh, Balanced Scorecard Institute for a decade, where I was able to 
co-write a textbook on strategic planning and management using the balanced scorecard. Um, got really deep into that craft, um, but still was yearning to get back into true consulting and, and the technology side. So it's a sort of circuitous story, but I, I made it and was um, brought on to Credera about nine months ago as a partner. And that's what I'd wanted to be since I graduated college. I wanted to be a partner at a consulting firm. So I finally made it. <laughs> wow, you made it. You yeah. know, and that's, that's hence, yeah. that's why the podcast is called Riding the Big Wheel. Mm -hmm. um, because I talk about how when I was a kid, the most fun thing and exciting for me was riding my big wheel. And the journey continues because you are riding a big wheel right now. <laughs> so Gail, let's talk a little bit about, I know you had some reticence about being the first female partner at Cordera. Mm -hmm. And um, yet I'm hearing from your company that there are a lot of women that work here, a lot of young women who are really excited about that. So let's, let's just delve a little bit, a bit into that, um, your feelings around that. Yeah, I shied away from what I called the asterisk. Uh -huh. I didn't want first female to be in front of the label partner because then my other partners have an adjective in front of their title. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, and I also worried that I was being graded on a different scale, maybe. Uh, maybe they lowered the bar or whatever. So but it was a very thorough vetting process. Um, I did look at the rubric. I know they interviewed <laughs> 200 people. <laughs> the only thing that they did different is they cast the net wider and looking for candidates and looked in places that they didn't normally look in order to have a more varied candidate pool. But once you're in the pool, you go through the process. So, you know, I'm fully confident that they, <laughs> that I am the partner that they wanted. So, and then I was also worried about the role model aspect. You know, I already had a lot on my shoulders to come up to speed in a firm like this. You know, we were acquired by Omnicom last year. So we're publicly traded. We're growing like gangbusters. There's a lot for me to learn and to have that extra mantle of also be a role model and be the first um, worried me at first. So I'm just now embracing that. Yeah. yeah. Now we had a conversation and you have told me that you've got consulting of about 30 years behind you, right? Yes. <laughs> a lot of amazing experience. Mm -hmm. And yet you're responsible now for teams of people that, well, they may be younger than the number of years that you've actually been consulting. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, how that is for you as a leader, how you bring them uh, along and what the differences are really between like you and your skill set. And what it is these younger people are bringing to the table? I am just amazed by the younger generation. They they think faster, they figure out things faster, they make connections. They I don't know how they figure out everything they figure out. And you can just throw a problem at them and say, "Here's here's where I want you to go," and they somehow figure out how to get there. And they'll find a shortcut while they're at it, um, and it's still great work. Um, so I've learn to be just going to give more broad direction. Um, and, and I had worried for a while about, you know, my age, like, okay, do I still have anything to add? Because they can pretty much Google anything they want or they can figure <laughs> things out. So what do I have to add? And I came to the realization that I have 30 years of experience. I have been working with businesses all over the world. I have seen, done, read, heard, talked to. I have things in my brain that they don't have that, that's experiential. And so while they can sometimes figure things out, they don't always understand the bigger picture or they don't see a problem that's about to happen or understand how things fit together. And I'm able to provide that guidance and teach them those things. That's really amazing. And I'm actually in your office today mm -hmm. and I'm looking at a globe 
And on that globe, you really have been all over the world. You've pinmarked everywhere that you've been. Can you just tell me a side note? What was one of the most unique and interesting places that you have traveled? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's not necessarily unique and interesting, but the first time I, I went to Africa was amazing because that's a place I decided I wanted to work there. And I didn't know how. Um, I actually put the country seal of Botswana over my desk. And for two years, oh, I wow. just looked at it and said, I, I want to go there. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow I was invited to come do strategy work with uh, the government there. And then on that same trip, I um, went up to uh, Kenya and mm -hmm. uh, taught a class at Strathmore University as well. Wow. So I managed to, yeah, so that was pretty cool. It <laughs> is actually really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, now let's shift gears and talk a little bit about, um, here you are as a female leader and you've got a lot of younger people around you. And I want to talk about how you learn and how you mentor. And we, we actually talked about you stepping out and stepping back in mm -hmm. and that you have friends who maybe didn't step back in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let, let's talk about like what you're looking for and the conversations you want to have and, and how you're finding that. Well, one of the reasons that I, I joined Credera, I was specifically looking to, to get back into a firm with partners and be in a partnership. And, you know, while my um, partners are male, um, it's like they are my peers. You know? yes, so yes. I have people to balance things off of, and it's fabulous. That's what I wanted the collaboration. But what I'm still seeking is a community of, of women who have the years of experience that I have, who've achieved the level that I have, so I can have the business conversations as well as that other side of us. You know, yes. there's, there's issues that we face, there's but it's, I, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, whether we're talking about technology or digital transformation or, you know, what's happening with strategy or what's happening in the, the latest buyout or, yeah. you know, valuation of the company or it's just <laughs> who's headquarters is moving where. Yeah. It's fun <laughs> talking shop. Yes. That's it. I I'm going to talk shop. Yeah. And I'm going to continue to learn. You know, what are they reading? And, you know, so luckily I do have that with my partners here. Um, and that's fabulous. Um, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. But you're looking for that female network of, Mm -hmm. Women just like you who yes. want to talk shop. Yes. I hear you. I'm in the same boat. We are interviewing or having other women on the podcast that are in this area. So I will make a point of connecting you with some really great women. Wonderful. Um, now you are in an incredibly interesting space in digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, first of all, I'm like, what is digital transformation really? You know, like, what is it? It seems like it's changing and moving so rapidly and so quickly. And I, I thought it would be interesting for people to hear about, you know, just kind of your initial view on it, right? Because it doesn't seem to be a lot of right answers yet. It's like, there are a lot of answers, you know, not just one path. So what, what kind of is it? And then what are some of the things that you're seeing? <laughs> well, it's to me, it's a lot like the word strategy. So I'm a strategist. That's uh -huh. the consulting that I've done. And if you know two people give you the same answer for what strategy is. You know, I do corporate strategy. Other people think that strategy is sales strategy. You would probably yeah. say sales strategy, <laughs> marketing strategy, M&A strategy, operational strategy. Um, so I find the same with digital transformation. It kind of depends on who you're talking to, mm -hmm. <laughs> what that means. I'm kind of to define it as taking it to the next level and having machines do more work for us. 
as, as the best ah. I can define it. Yeah. So oh, that's really talking, straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> um, by my very layman, you know, yeah. simplistic term. Um, so if you're talking to someone in marketing, I think that's where a lot of people think it has to do with marketing because that's where we're seeing a lot of movement has had the market's becoming so fragmented. How do you reach the consumers? There's so much technology to enable that so much data to enable that precision marketing and all that. So I think a lot of people think marketing first, but I'm having a conversation on Friday with a CIO who asked me how I think about digital transformation. And I know he's thinking about how to just take his, the technology area of his company to the next level, like how to enable that. Oh, interesting. So it, it has to do with people, it has to do with processes, it has to do with DevOps, it has to do with all kinds of things. Um, but, but again, that's to enable the business and to enable marketing. And so That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I really appreciated the conversation. And if things just continue on and you like your podcast, maybe you'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah. Thanks. When you're riding the